Lord, I just thank you for today. Lord, uh, we praise your name, Father. We thank you for watching over us and taking care of us, Lord, um, in the hard times, but also in the good times, Lord Jesus, because we only have good times because of you. So we just lift that up to you, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me today and that you would make me intelligible. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The reason I pray for intelligible is uh, because, you know, when I'm nervous, I ramble. <laughs> and usually it's my brother up here. And you might think, oh, I just thought Dave grew some hair. No, I'm a different guy. <laughs> Completely different person. And Dave doesn't wear glasses. <laughs> so anyways, um, we're not continuing on in Judges today. We're actually in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 4, okay? Um, I was actually planning on teaching from the book of Acts, and so I was preparing for that. And about Wednesday, I was reading, just doing some devotions, reading Mark chapter 4, and I just felt the Holy Spirit be like, no, you're going to teach on this. And I was like, no, come on. I already put the work in on the other stuff. It gives me like two days to, to study up. So, yeah, but that's been it. So, the Holy Spirit kind of changed it up to Mark chapter 4, 1 through 20. And it's basically a parable. Um, you know you've heard it before. The parable of the sower and the seeds, right? Pretty familiar parable. But as I was reading it, I just felt, wow, we really need to look at this again. So, so I'm going to give you a quick recap, a quick, a quick caption. This is a parable of the gospel's reception in people's hearts, okay? So if you want to look at this parable, when you look at it, think about it like that. It's how the gospel is received in people's hearts. That's what this parable is about. So I'm going to start from the beginning. We're going to read the first 20 verses. So it says there, Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. So then he's given the explanation. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell in the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, and so no fruit is produced. 
And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produced a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. That's a lot of words. Anyways, um, so basically, the first part, I'm not going to reread through the, the thing, but, you know, basically, there's four types of soil, right? We're looking at the word of God goes out, and there's four types of soil. And if you've ever planted anything, it depends on the soil, what you're planting and the soil that it's in, right? I've got some succulents at home, and if you try to plant them in regular soil, they don't do well. They need more of a soil that drains the water through, because they're not the type of plant to just sit in a lot of water, like normal plants, right? And then my kids had this uh, Venus flytrap, and I was like, what? And I had to go buy some really special soil. It needed to be sandy, so a very much a sand mix, right? And I thought, this is ridiculous. I just think, stick it in the ground, water it, be done with it, right? This is my understanding, So I'm not a farmer. I'm from New York. We don't grow anything. <laughs> we just buy it at the shop and eat it, <laughs> you know? But then looking at this, you're like, yeah, this makes sense. I have a sister-in-law who likes to leave all kinds of plants in my house, right? <laughs> And every time she has a plant that's dying, she brings it to my house. And I'm always like, why did you bring this here? Well, I don't want it. She's like, oh, you always bring them back to life. And I'm like, no, I don't. I just put them in the windowsill. I throw some water in there, and that's it. That's all I do, right? But it's a, it depends on the soil. It's the, receptive, the receptiveness of the soil. So we're looking at this. God's word is the seed. The soil is your heart. What kind of soil is your heart? That's what we're actually looking at here. But when I was reading it, verse 12 says, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. And immediately I thought, uh, Jesus, doesn't that go against what you're trying to do? I thought you wanted people to learn something and understand and hear it, right? But what he's basically talking about, he's taking this quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It's not like word for word, if you guys throw it up there. He said, and yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand, which watch closely, but learn nothing. He's basically, he's not saying, he's basically, he's not like, it's not like he's casting a curse on them or anything like that. He's just saying, this is how it's going to be. He's not making it like that. He's saying, this is how their hearts are. He's basically commenting on the people's soil of their hearts, the receptiveness of how they receive God's word. This is what's going to happen in the future. And if you think about it like that, you see that today, don't you? You might go talk to somebody about God. Hey, this is what I believe. God, Jesus came and died on the cross for my, your sins, my sins, everybody's sins. And if you believe him, you know, believe in that, you'll be saved. And they're like, yeah, whatever. That's good for you, right? Have you heard that one yet? <laughs> that might be good for you, but I don't need that. I would say that's that seed that fell on the footpath, Right? It says, represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. These are the people that don't even listen. They don't believe. If you look at this in the New King James, so we're reading this in the NLT, just a simplified version. If you want to read this in a little bit of a, it's a harder read, but it causes you to think more on it because you got to figure out what the heck they're saying, right? This is sometimes why I read the New King James. I'm like, what? This is not normal English which causes me to think harder on it, right? So then, and, and in effect, I actually gain a little bit more understanding. If it's so easy to, for me to understand, I just, oh yeah, I'm gone, I'm moving on, you know? But that's the way that I am. Um, so that's what that is, right? 
Then it says the seed. So then I found this quote. It's a guy named Henry Haley. Been dead for a long time. He wrote a book called uh, Haley's Bible Handbook. And it's basically looking at a lot of archaeological evidence and stuff. So it's got lots of pictures. That's my kind of book. Right? Lots of pictures. <laughs> Does have words as well. So he breaks it all down and he gives evidence for all this stuff through the whole. The, that book is about that thick. But you can find cover to cover. It covers the whole Bible. Pretty good book. So he gives this quote which I thought, I was going to try to paraphrase, and I thought, nah, I'm just going to read it straight up, because he just says it the best. He says this, The kingdom Jesus intended to establish was utterly different from what was commonly expected of the Messiah. Right? In that time, people were expecting, like, a revolutionary guy to come through and free them from the clutches of Rome, free the Jews from Rome, from captivity, from all of that. That's what they were expecting. Well, that's what they wanted right? But that's not what God was sending. God knew the, the, big, the bigger problem was not Rome. It wasn't Babylon. It wasn't any of those places. It wasn't the government. The problem was the heart. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to change men's hearts, right? Listen to the rest of this quote. The kingdom of God is grasped with the heart and the spirit. This is why Jesus used stories about ordinary, everyday events to illustrate the origin, the development, the present-day character, and the future consummation of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Stories can get truths across in a way logical explanations cannot. Does that make sense to you guys? Right? When somebody tells you a story about something, you remember it. But if they just break down the facts, it's gone, at least in my mind. <laughs> you know? Understanding the meaning of the parables required a receptive heart. It required a good soil rather than a logical mind. We try to come at God with logic, with philosophy, with all kinds of other things, right? But that's not what God is looking for. God needs the right heart behind it. He says, which is why the parables, in fact, obscured Jesus' message for those whose heart was unwilling to listen. The parables were actually a strategic move by Jesus. <laughs> it was weeding out the people who didn't really want the kingdom, if you think about it like that, right? If you were willing to sit and listen to the story and make sense of it and understand like, oh, I think what he's, I know what he's talking about, you were the kind of person Jesus wanted, right? A person that was willing to sit and listen and receive. Receptivity means that you are receiving. Does that make sense to you guys? reception, okay? That's what Jesus was looking for, someone who's willing to receive. He wasn't looking for the smartest. He wasn't looking for the handsomest, the best dressed, the tallest, the strongest. He's not looking for that. He's looking for someone who's willing to receive. So the key word there is willingness. You have to be willing for Jesus to use you, okay? So that's what Henry Haley said. And I was like, I read that and I thought, this guy's dead on, man. No pun intended, because he is dead. Sorry. <laughs> so, back to verse 15. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Those are the people that just tell you, that's good for you. Or, no, 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 no. They just walk by. I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Okay. Then we move on to verse 16. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message. So that's good. There's some reception. 
and immediately receive with a joy like, yes, this is what I need, right? But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. You know, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. I was just talking to a couple of guys in the back before, just during that little couple of minutes between worship and stuff, talking about that. When Christians grow is when they're in hard times. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you want an easy, good life, that's not the way you're going to grow. You know what happens with easy goodness? Uh complacency, comfortableness, right? Weakness. You want to look at some of the biggest, strongest trees in the world, they don't live in a place with lots of water, right? They live in a place where they have to dig those roots super deep to get what they need. Does that make sense? So you've got these massive trees. I'll take, for example, Northern California. California, the whole state is a desert. And when you get up into the high California, it's called the high desert. But you've got redwoods up there. Have you ever seen those trees? You can drive a car through it. It's, they're huge. They're wider than this whole room. One tree. And there's a whole forest of them. But because they can't easily get water, so they send roots super deep. Those trees have been there over a thousand years. Right? They send super deep roots to get what they need. But then in the end, they're not going to fall. They don't, you never see a redwood just fall over. <laughs> right? And that's what we need. So in this verse, it's talking about these people didn't have deep roots. You know, they were comfortable. They were okay. Everything was going good. They accepted what was being said, but soon they fell away. Why? Because temptation. Temptation came along and said, hey, look at this. Look at that. You know, and these are there like, oh, yeah, look at that. See you guys later. And gone. Right? We've, we've know, we know people like that, right? They're here, then they're, down, then they're not because they're not rooted in the Word of God. The Word of God is the anchor, folks. The, the Word of God is the anchor. Okay, You can, you can equate that to a, a boat analogy, whatever you want to do, <laughs> you know what I mean? We need an anchor. As people, we need something to hold us down, right? In my life, my anchor was our mom. Not my dad. My dad was not an anchor. He was the storm. <laughs> Right? Our mom rooted us in the Word of God. And when I was a kid, I thought, oh, my mom, every morning, did you read your Bible? I'm thinking, go away. I just want to sleep a little bit more. But you got to get up for school. And I don't want to do that either. <laughs> I hated school. <laughs> I'm trying not to pass that on to my kids, the hate for school. <laughs> I, just, I just hate getting up early. I'll be honest. I still do. <laughs> I'm, so, my, you know, the reason church is kind of empty is because there's a ladies retreat and then Pastor Dave and Pastor Tom actually do all of the tech for the ladies retreat. They live stream it. They do all the sound, music, all the front of house, all that stuff. Right. So they're up there taking care of all their tech needs. So they left me here. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But they, um, see, this is why I don't teach a lot because I lose my train of thought easily. <laughs> See, Dave, who's my brother, knows me well. <laughs> I'll be telling stories all the time at home. Like, yeah, uh, where was I? And they're like, oh, man. <laughs> Anyways, we'll just move on. This is why I write it all down. <laughs> so temptation. We need to be rooted in the word of God. The second soil didn't have enough soil to be rooted in. So you talk looking at the soil. There wasn't enough of the word of God in that life, if you want to look at it like that. 
Then there's a third soil. The, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Okay, I find that interesting. In this soil, they say no fruit is produced. That means there was the potential to grow fruit. That means there was the potential to live a life for Christ. But easily, they got wooed away, right? They got lured. It says lured. They get crowded out, lured away. Yeah? And I'll tell you what. I mean, everybody here has a worry about life, right? We have the worries of this life. We got to pay bills. We got to get jobs. We got to get good grades if you're in school, right? You got to raise your family if you got one, or you got to try to take care of yourself. You got to feed. Those are all worries. I got to eat. At the minimum, I got to eat once a day <laughs> to stay alive, preferably three times a day. Yeah? Those are all worries of this life, if you think about it. And we can easily be more concerned about those things than the Word of God. We can easily be more concerned about where am I going to live next? How am I going to get the money to pay my bills at the end of the month, you know, which is coming up? I want to, sorry about reminding you about that worry, but the end of the month is coming up. It means you're going to have to pay bills. <laughs> you know, worries of this life, right? But this is equating it to some people hang on a little bit longer, like, ah, yeah, we're going to do this. But eventually they lose interest and never produce any fruit. The potential was there. They were actually doing it for a little bit and then kind of gave up. It's too hard. It's too much to worry about. I got so many other things to do. I'm super busy, right? Then the last one. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So then some will hold on through the worries, through the lure and desires, through the temptations. Some people are going to really hold on to God's word, right? And it says they'll produce 30, 60, or even 100 times. Some people will be, you know, it's all a personal journey at this point, guys and ladies, right? Every single one of us is growing in the Lord at a different rate. So some of us will produce 100-fold. Some of us will produce 60-fold. Some of us will produce 30, 20, 10, right? There's no formula for producing a lot. You'll produce what you'll produce. Yeah? Does that make sense? According to what, how the word comes into your heart, according to how you apply the word in your life. So that's it. The production, like when God says produce, I know this is a very like, for lack of a better way of saying, Christianese. It's like we have our own language, Christians, right? And if we talk to somebody who's not a Christian, they have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> Hey, how's your fruit, brother? <laughs> and people look at what the heck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> right? So we have to be careful when we share God's word, when we're the farmer out there throwing some seeds, that we're, produce, we're throwing out seeds that people understand, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> so we give them a little bit better of a chance of, of uh, producing something, those seeds, yeah? But I find this interesting. I looked up um, this verse, verse 20, in the book of Luke. So if you want to read this parable in three different books, Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, in the New King James, it says they, they all had been done with patience. If you go to the next slide there. And bear fruit with patience. You know what that tells me? It takes time to bear fruit. Some people come to the Lord and they say, man, it's my first Sunday, and they're expecting fruit right away. 
Well, if you've ever planted a fruit tree, that's not what happens. Or if you've ever trimmed a fruit tree, you're going to lose fruit the next season. I trimmed a plum tree in our back garden, and I, I don't know much about plants except for floristry. My mom used to own a florist, so she always had me there working, making bouquets and arrangements. But that's not trimming live plants. That's completely different, right? So I went back there, and I thought, this fruit tree is getting too big, so I hacked that sucker up. You know, I've hacked it down to a manageable size, and the next season, nothing. And my wife was like, Juan, you killed it. I'm like, no, no, give it some time. Give it some time. I didn't kill it. Oh, Lord, please don't let me have killed this thing. <laughs> right? And the next season, the plum tree produced. I mean, we had plums coming out of our ears. Oh, well, at least I thought we did, and then my kids ate them all, and I didn't even taste one. But then, you know, I'm not upset. No, seriously, though. The, produce, the production of plums two seasons later was massive. Biggest one we've ever had. But it's because it had to be pruned, right? So, I mean, I, I know the concept of pruning, but I'm not, a, I'm not a, an expert. But it took time. My point is that it took time to produce the fruit. Do you guys understand? So even as believers, if you want to equate being a believer, like being a tree and then growing fruit, it takes time for the tree to grow to a certain age, old enough to start producing fruit. Then it has to start receiving the right nutrients, right? If a tree is not fed correctly, it won't produce. Does that make sense? I have a six-year-old daughter. She's about, she's about the size of a three- or four-year-old. <laughs> and she asked me the other day, Daddy, how come I'm not growing? I said, it's because you don't eat. You can't live on chicken nuggets. <laughs> you don't grow on chicken nuggets. She's like, what? So the other day, she was eating an egg, and she only likes to eat the white. But then I saw her eating the yolk. I was like, you're eating the yolk? She's like, yeah, I'm eating it because I don't like it, but I'm going to eat it anyways because I want to grow. <laughs> and I was like, now nah, you're getting it. Now nah, you're getting it. <laughs> right? But it's the same thing. If we don't physically eat all the nutrients and minerals and vitamins and all that stuff we need, if we don't eat a broad f range of food, we're not going to grow. We're not going to be healthy, are we, physically? Same thing with the Word of God. If you don't read the Word of God in its entirety, and I'm not talking about in one day, over the course of your life, read through the Word of God, everything in context, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, then you're going to be fully fed. Does that make sense? You're going to be fully fed spiritually, and you will grow. And as you grow, you will produce fruit. All right? Okay. Now, a couple of comments on this. I don't think, well, let me put it this way. I don't believe that this whole parable is talking about salvation. Some people are going to say, oh, you know, this, the people with the bad soil, they, they're not saved. And the people with the good soil, they're, they're saved. And the people in between, you know, maybe they're in between. This is not... I don't think Christ is talking about salvation at this point. He's talking about the reception of God's word and the kind of heart you have. Now, I don't also don't think, believe that this is talking about when you're this soil, then you're stuck, man. You can't get out of it. I don't think that's true either. Because I think at one point, obviously, we were all bad soil. Right? If you look at, talk to some people here, they'll be like, oh, I came to know the Lord in my 20s or my 30s or when I was a young kid, 3, 7, whatever it might be. Right, But until you came to know the Lord, until you heard the word, you were bad soil, if you think about it. Because that probably wasn't the very first time you've ever heard the word of God. I think very few people in here can say, the moment, the very first time I heard about Jesus, boom, I was saved. No, I mean, I was seven when I came to know the Lord, and my mom was telling me about him since I was five. 
You know, I just wasn't receptive. And you might say, well, you were young. I was a smart young. <laughs> you know, we had to be on our game. Remember, I told you my dad was a storm. We weren't dumb. We knew how to survive, right? We knew what we were doing. Then I know people that said, oh, I accept the Lord when I was 20. That's probably not the very first time living in the Western country. Jesus is everywhere, right? He's on advertisements. He's on, you read about him. You, you've, you've heard about Jesus. I used to do schools work here in England. Um, <clears throat> my brothers and I were in a band. We used to come over here and tour in the summers. And then we used to tour with some Christ, uh, some other Calvary chapels down south, Devon area. So they used to get us into the schools, the local schools and the state schools in the area. And we used to teach RE. And we used to come in and just do Christianity from a Christian's perspective. Because in RE, you just learn it from a book, right? It's nobody's perspective. And the teacher usually isn't a Christian. You know, they're, I don't know what they are. The one, actually, the one class we went and the teacher was a, um, what do you, how do you say? He was a witch. And he was teaching RE. And I thought, hi. Cool. Not, well, not cool, but I just thought, that was strange. I've never met a witch before. <laughs> you know? But anyways, so anybody can be teaching RE, basically, is my point. So we used to come in, and the schools used to bring us in to teach Christianity from a Christian's perspective. Because they thought, oh, that's interesting. Let's do that. Right? And then we'd ask. Most of the time, our first question was, who's been in a church before? Literally almost no hands ever went up. <laughs> like, okay, who's walked by our church before? Like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Who's heard of Jesus? They're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of Jesus. Like, all right, there we go. And we just did question answers and stuff. But, you know, even that, kids that had never been in church had possibly walked by a church, but everybody had heard of Jesus Christ, right? It was about the receptivity of their heart, right? So let's go back. The far Verse 14, the farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. So who can be the farmer? Is it just Jesus Christ? No. Any one of us can be the farmer, right? It says, go out into all the world and tell the nations about Jesus Christ, right? If you look at the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's not Jesus. Jesus is the one telling us to do it. So we're the farmers. You guys are the farmers. I'm the farmer. Planting seeds is not... It can be standing on New Street in a, into a microphone. It can be that. It can also be in the grocery store in line with somebody. It can also be at the petrol pumps. It can also be at work. It can also be in school. It can also be anywhere. Anywhere. We're called to plant seeds wherever we are. Every time we see an opportunity, talk to people. You know? Talk to people. It's no big deal. Talk to people. Make connections. You know, and if God comes up in that conversation, great. And if he doesn't, okay. Maybe the Lord will give you a different opportunity with that same person another time. It's not necessarily a forced thing. Does that make sense? If you look at the way farmers scatter seed, they don't walk up to the thing and then just take it a handful and just shove it into the ground, right? No, no. They're just, they're just throwing it out there, right? They just, whoops. They just throw it out there, right? It's almost like a casual thing. So, I mean... You might meet up with some people and casually talk about Christ. You know, it's good to have a relationship with people instead of just cramming the word down their throat. Sometimes that actually does more harm. Just buffeting, banging people with the word doesn't necessarily always work. With some people, it might, meet, it might need to be that way. 
But I have found when people get to know you and understand you and then you're, they, like walls come down and then they're receptive to what you want to tell them or need to, maybe if you're just sharing your testimony, hey, this is where God brought me from. This is who I used to be. This is where I'm at now. And people are more receptive when you have formed a bit of a relationship with them. Then look at this. The seed that fell in the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. I believe almost all of us have been that seed at some point, but look at that. We're here now. How would that happen? Because the soil can change, can't it? And it's not, it's not that you are necessarily are doing anything to change it per se. You know, it's, it depends on the Holy Spirit working in your life in different ways. It's funny, my mom, who didn't become a believer until she was like, how old was she? Mid-20s, her mid-20s, right? She said, yeah. At, after she became a believer and accepted Christ, she said, I look back now and I see how God was actually taking care of me. I see how the Holy Spirit protected me from things and, and you know, helped me make decisions that I didn't even... No, I was just making decisions, but it's actually God's guidance to get her to the point of when she was probably, I think, about 24 years old when I was five, to get her to the point where the soil of her heart was receptive to God's word. You know what it was? My dad wasn't a good man. We lived in this corner house in New York City. Um, on, well, actually, we lived on the, the first floor of a house, which was like they had converted the, the main floor to one flat and the top floor to another flat. So we lived in the flat upstairs over these old people who hated us because obviously there's a lot of kids and we're loud. <laughs> but anyway, she's coming out of the door with, at the time, I think she had five kids because my mom is seven. And then this other lady who lived down the road was walking up and she also had seven kids. And she walked up and saw my mom was kind of like, I think in despair and down. So she just asked her how she was. They didn't really know each other. And then she proceeded to invite my mom to a women's Bible study on Tuesday mornings. And my mom said she went to that Bible study and there came to know the Lord. Crazy, right? But the Lord met my mom when she was down. You know, struggling with a, not a great husband, struggling with a load of kids. <laughs> so when my mom had five kids, we were all five and under. I was the oldest at five. So then my fourth in line would have been just born. So she was struggling with that. So God met her there. My mom knew about Christ. She was a Catholic, a good Catholic, went to Mass every Sunday, put her kids in Catholic school, you know, always do it. I remember that. I did my first communion in a stark white, full-on suit. If I could find a picture, I'd show you. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I was... I was uh, baptized as an infant in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan. You know what I mean? Like, we were super Catholics, <laughs> if there was such a thing. I'm serious. My parents did everything. My grandparents, well, my mom did everything. My grand super Catholics. I'll tell you how super my, my grandparents were. We, after they passed away, we went through their stuff, and we were still finding uh, what they call indulgences. You ever, ever heard of those? Basically, you go to the Catholic Church, you pay some money, and they give you a written piece of paper, and you pay money to help get one of your deceased relatives into heaven. And they give you the certificate saying that you've done this. And I'm looking through, I'm like, what? No way. This is wild. I thought I only read about this in Martin Luther's time. That was one of the things the Reformation was about, right? And it was still going on in 2018. 
you know? And I was like, wow, my, my, my grandparents were super Catholics. They're praying and paying money for dead people, <laughs> you know? But it's about the soil. Listen to this. My grandma came to know the Lord when she was 78, being a Catholic her whole life. My grandfather, when he was 73, and actually he passed away two weeks later, but he was completely healthy when he came to know the Lord. It's all about the reception of the heart. The seed with the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, right? You know when you get good news and then you quickly forget it because you got so many other things going on, right? The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out. It's just too much going on in my life, you know? That could have been my mom. I got five kids. I got take. I can't come to your Bible study. You know, that could have been my mom. But so what, what am I talking about, folks? We're all one type of soil or another, right? The reason that you're here is that you are good soil now. And I'm my point is this: you weren't always good soil. More than likely, you weren't always good soil. And you might be good soil now, but I think it's easy to also fall back into the bad soils, right? We start to maybe get disillusioned by the church, right? We get hurt by church people or the church. We walk away. We say, I'm not going to do church for now. And I'm not talking about church itself. I'm talking about God, the body of Christ. You know, I'm not talking about the building, I'm not going to do church for a while. I'm just do this on my own for a while. I need to heal, right? Those things can be dangerous. We need to be careful. Because a guy I know back then says, we're always one mistake to going back to who we were. As much of a Christian as you might be, I've been walking with the Lord for whatever, 45 years, 37 years, 20 years, 10 years, 2 years. But you make one mistake and you're kind of right back where you started. Doesn't that stink? And I've been there loads of times. And I feel like when I was reading this scripture, I thought, oh, okay, I get it, Lord. Yeah, I'm producing good fruit right now. But if I go back to do the things, and if I'm lured away by those temptations that are always there, that will never go away because I'm human, I'm just right back to being the old one, the one that nobody liked, not even me. I didn't like myself, you know? I'm right back to being that old person. So I can go back to being the soil that got choked out by the thorns. I don't want to do that. I can go back to being the soil that I'm like, yeah, praise the Lord. Oh, man, I just can't do it. Right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But then you think, but I try so hard not to do that. And I'm going to tell you this, a warning. Don't try so hard not to be what you don't want to be. Don't try so hard. What you need to do is allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. That's what you need to do. So to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you need to feed the Holy Spirit. And you feed the Holy Spirit, not the chicken nuggets. Don't feed the Holy Spirit commentaries and devotionals. You feed the Holy Spirit the Word of God. Do you guys understand that? So if you're not reading the Word of God, but you're reading every other book about the Word of God, you're making a mistake. Nothing is better than the Word of God. And I'm not telling you those things are bad. It's good to read those other books, but they're supplements. Who here lives on vitamins alone? Yeah, I didn't think so, because they're supplements, right? 
You put them alongside of the actual food. So it's the same thing with the Word of God. Read the devotionals. Read the commentaries. You can read those things, but read them alongside of the Word of God. Then they'll do you a lot better, right? They'll supplement your daily intake of the Word of God, and what you end up becoming is good soil, and maybe even better soil. Because you might be the soil that's producing 10 or 20 or 30, but you could be the soil that produces 40 or 50, 60 or 70, 80 or 90, maybe 85, you know? You could be that soil too. This is what the point is. We want to be more like Christ. Christ was the perfect soil, 100% production, right? If you're in business, that's what you're looking for, right? You're looking for efficiency and production at the same time. You don't want to use as many resources, but you want to get the most out of it, yeah? Well, that's the same thing with the Word of God. We want to get the most we can out of the Word of God so that we produce the best, right? We want to be the best Christian we can be. But at the same time, we don't want to be a false, hypocritical Christian. Because we can put on a face that we're being the best Christian, right? But we can be lying. <laughs> we can be lying. So with a determination to follow Christ, that's where it starts. We'd have to be determined, right? Because if you're determined to get into sin, you'll get into it, won't you? I know I would. I know I did. I know I still can. If I'm determined to fall, well, I'm going to fall. And I'm going to fall hard, right? But if I'm also determined to follow Christ, then I'm going to follow Christ. We have to have a determination to follow Christ, coupled with a determination not to fall to that temptation, yeah? And then we have to constantly saturate, saturate ourselves in the Word of God. Saturation means, I mean, you guys get it, right? You want to be soaked. <laughs> you want to be soaked in the Word of God. We live in England. It's not hard to picture being soaked. Yeah? <laughs> I'm more soaked here than I've ever been in my life. <laughs> but we want to be soaked in the Word of God. And, but what makes us good receptive soil to that Word of God is reading the Word of God, but then the application of what God says in His Word, right? So if God's telling you, don't worry, then apply it. Don't worry. Let God handle it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We know what that verse is telling you? Don't worry. Let God do it. Worry about what God... I'll give you a couple stories. <clears throat> um, I, have a big, I have a scar on my arm here now. See that scar? That's new. I got that in November. <laughs> in November, I was doing a job, my normal work. I'm a, I'm a builder. I was building. We're lifting heavy things. I got it all done, right? That was on a, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. On the Tuesday, the, the recycling lorry was driving up my street, and smashed my work van, right, and totaled it, or wrote it off for me. Thanks, guys. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting in my house, eating breakfast, I have, and I'm like, what was that? And I come to the door, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. This truck just hit my van. I'm parked legally and normally, and it literally just drove up the back of my van. I don't know what they were looking at. <laughs> and I got one of those big monster sprinters, high top. I mean, you can't miss it, right? So that's Tuesday. We go out there, we sort it all out. I'm like, all right, council's going to have to do something, right? So Wednesday comes. You know what? 
I'm from, I'm from the United States. I'm American, man. I get back in that van. I drove it to work anyways. <laughs> right? I drove that van, van to work the next day. Lights are missing. This is hanging off. Hey, no problem, man. We're going to make it. You know? I drove that van to work the next day. You know what happened to me the next day? I finished that job. I thought, yeah, I felt good about that job. Right? I go to play some basketball that night. Snapped my bicep tendons. It was a great day. <laughs> then the next day, and I'm like, as soon as it happened, I thought, that's not good. Something just broke, <laughs> right? So I took myself to the hospital, and thankfully my sister-in-law, Pastor Dave's wife, works at Worcester Royal in A&E. So I went there. They had me put through and everything. and said, yep, yep, you've definitely snapped something. And I thought, great. I'm a builder, and I can't work lefty because I'm a righty. So it was my right arm. So a couple days later, I find out that the job I had just finished, the people said, no, we're not going to pay you. And I'm like, say what? <laughs> I come over there and do something about it, but my van's broken and so is my arm. So you're lucky. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I did the work and I didn't end up getting paid for it. And I'm sitting there literally thinking, God, what the heck is going on? Uh, my life just literally fell apart in two days. You know? What is going on? Because I came to find out, now I can't go to work. So now, you know, the doctor, I had to go to see the doctor. They said, you're going to need surgery, and you're, you're out of work, and you're not allowed to drive. And I was like, what? I can drive? <laughs> I can drive one-armed? That's ridiculous. Whoever told me that? You know? And they're like, you ought to drive a manual. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you can't drive. I'm like, yes, I can. I'll prove it. So I drove to my brother's house in that same broken van to park the van, to say, oh, man, we can't move the van anymore. But I just drove it down here real quick. He just lives a block away. It's all right. And down the bottom of the hill. <clears throat> but all this to say this, I started to worry. I got five kids. I've got a wife. I rent the house, so I have to pay rent. You know? Have you ever fed five kids? Man, it's like, it's bottomless. Just never stop eating. <laughs> Seriously. And they're not even big yet. <laughs> My son's back there. You can ask him. The kid just doesn't stop eating. <laughs> like even yesterday, I had some food. And he came over, ate his food, and came over and started eating my food. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> I was myself, what are you doing? He smiled at me. That's, he loves to do that smile at me. And I'm just like, get out of here. <laughs> if I don't eat and I die, who's going to take care of you guys? <laughs> anyways, but anyways. So I started to worry because I got bills to pay, I got mouths to feed, and I'd just been told, you can't go to work until you're all healed up. Well, guess what? Just, I was at the physio just the other day and said, oh, you can start lifting 3 kg now. I'm like, 3 kg? What is that? It's nothing. You know, I, I got to lift more than 3 kg, folks. It's end of February. I, broke, I hurt myself in November. We need to get this ball rolling, you know? But the Lord showed me then. He said, don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. So, you know, obviously my van got broken up. It's pretty bad, right? So this is what God does. In January, the council finally gets back to me. So I was in, at that point, I had, I've had surgery. They've reattached everything. They've put a pin in my arm. It's fantastic. Theoretically, it's not fantastic. I'm in this weird brace thing. I can't move my arm, and it's driving me crazy. I'm a very active person that was driving me nuts. You know, even my wife was like, are you doing okay? I was like, if I don't get this thing off soon. It's like, you just had surgery yesterday. Okay, six weeks, that's all I got. <laughs> it, it was killing me. Anyways, 
January rolls around. So I've been in this brace thing for, you know, however many weeks. And I'm literally going stir crazy because I'm just at home. I'm with my kids all day. And I love my kids, but I'm a, I'm a dad, man. I need to go to work. <laughs> Can't be hanging around kids all day. <laughs> so, and I'm fretting because whatever money I had, it's, we've come to the end of it. You know, paid the last bill, babe. Um, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. I can't even go to work, you know. So then God works it out. Um, the council finally gets in contact with me saying, yeah, it's all our fault. And I'm thinking, of course it's your fault. <laughs> if you had tried to say it wasn't your fault, that was like, what? You know, so it's all our fault. We'll pay you out. Great. So they give me this low ball price. So we'll give you this much money for the van. And I'm thinking, wait, you're going to take my van and give me that? I'm like, no, no, I can't handle that. Or if you want to hold on to the van, we'll give you less money. And I thought, what? So I, and they said, well, I, I've been looking. I can't find a van replacement to buy a van for that amount of money. And unre not unwittingly to me, I guess I kind of called their bluff. You know, I wasn't thinking of doing that. And I said, can you send me the link to the van that you say you found? Because I want to buy that van then. And the guy says, I'll call you right back. <laughs> I'm like, what? All right. So then he calls me back and says, okay, we'll give you this much money. So he raised the, the amount. And I thought, wait, what? And I said, yo, Dave, listen to this. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I knew they were playing games. <laughs> so eventually I ended up getting more money. So this is what happened. That money they gave me provided the bill money I needed for the months that I've been injured and haven't been able to work. Plus, there was a little bit extra, and I bought all the parts, and I fixed my van myself. You see the way God provides? He told me, don't worry. And yeah, for a minute, I was like, uh, I don't know how this is going to work. And I felt the Lord tell me, don't worry. Be receptive to my word in your heart. Put the time in. I've given you some free time. Start reading that word more. Right? So that's what I did. I started reading the Bible more. I do try to read it every day. I'm not going to tell you I'm perfect. I'm not perfect. Some days I miss it. You know, I miss reading the word. I tried to play catch up. Last year, I looked at my uh, daily reading plan. So I said, you've missed 40 days. Well, that's not too bad out of 365. <laughs> you know, this year I'm trying to do better, right? I'm trying to do better because I'm just a human, right? So what's God saying? He's telling us lots of things. He's telling us things like, don't worry, be courageous, go out there and be bold. I've been telling people the truth. He says, rejoice in persecution, Rejoice when things are going bad because that is the opportunity to grow stronger in me, right? Because what can you do about that yourself? Nothing. You have to lean on the Lord when times are rough. You have to lean on the Lord when you're being persecuted or your whole life seemingly is falling apart. And I say you have to lean on the Lord because you can't lean on yourself. You're a wreck, right? When things are bad, you're a wreck. You can't lean on yourself. So who can you lean on? Maybe your husband, maybe your wife, but only so much, right? After a while, they're going to be like, hey, babes, listen, i got my own problems. <laughs> I can't handle yours, too. So we need to lean on the Lord. <clears throat> so what this boils down to is this. What kind of soil are you now? <clears throat> and what so kind of soil do you want to be? And what kind of soil do you not want to go back to? Just you know, rhetorical questions. These are things you ask yourself. These are self-assessment kind of things, you know? I can come along and tell you the kind of soil I think you might be, but I don't really know. That's between you and God. God knows the kind of soil you are. God knows the kind of soil you can be. 
Because I can tell you right now, nobody here is 100%. Not even me. I'm not producing 100%, sadly. You might think, well, you're a pastor. Yeah, but I'm still a normal person. You know, I still got the same problems you have. I still struggle with the same things. You know? So what kind of soil are you? Let's assess that first. Go home, assess that. Sit down with the, with the Word. Sit down with God and ask Him, Lord, let's be honest. How am I doing? And this is what I think I'm doing, and I don't think I'm doing too well. I think I'm doing all right. But what kind of soil can you be? That's the question. We can always be better for Christ. And then I think it'd be kind of dangerous to not look at what kind of soil did we come from. Because that's where we don't want to go back to. Right? Because I, I know growing up listening to the rap music, some of the lines like, uh, it's not where you're from, but it's where you're at. Right? But in reality, we need to remember where we're from or what we came from. Right? where we came from, what we came from. We need to remember that. Not so that it pulls us down. Not so that it pulls us down, but so that it spurs us on to be better for Christ. Does that make sense? We can use the bad things in our life to bring us closer to the Lord. The tough things, the hard things in life, the difficult, the painful things in life, that should spur us on closer to the Lord. But if you forget about those things, then you're making a mistake because you're, you're, you're leaving behind the reasoning behind why you're doing what you're doing, right? I always recall my dad. I try not to forget my dad. My dad was not a good guy. But if I don't remember my dad, I'm going to just become like him. If I don't remember the things he put us through and the different abuses and whatever it might be, if I don't remember the times that we were hungry or thirsty, the times that we were without heat or water, the times that we were being made fun of because we didn't have the new clothes or the nice shoes, if I don't remember that, then what's going to spur me on to be better, right? What is going to spur me on? Not just me feeling like I just want to be a better person. I love those lines. People are like, I'm just going to be positive. That's not going to get you very far. And Dave will tell you that I'm the negative one, but whatever, man. <laughs> it's true. I am the negative one in this relationship. <laughs> He's the positive one. I'm the negative one. That's why we balance each other well. And actually, we've always been kind of best friends. Dave is my next sibling as far as a boy goes. There's a sister between Dave and I. But um, Dave and I have been always been very close. And we balance each other's, you know, my, I like to call it realism. It's not negative. It's being realistic, okay? And Dave's optimism <laughs> go along quite well. <laughs> so we need to check our soil. And we need not to, we don't need to let life crush us, okay? We don't need to be the seed that falls among the thorns, is crowded out by the worries of the life, the lure of the wealth, and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. We can't let our fruit production be stunted because of our surroundings. Remember, God is the, gives us the peace that passes all understanding. Now, do you understand how, what that is? The peace that passes all understanding. It's not the lack of conflict. It's peace in spite of conflict. That's the peace that Jesus Christ gives. Because we've, Jesus has assured us, in this life, you will have trouble. 
you will have tribulations. So there will not be lack of conflict in this world. So if that's the kind of peace you're looking for, you're not going to find it. The peace that you're looking for has to reside inside of you through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in spite of the conflict, in spite of the bad things in your life, in spite of the hardships, the childhood traumas, the all of these kinds of things. That is the peace that is in your life, even though those things exist. That's what we're looking for. We're looking past the bad dads and the bad moms. We're looking past the bad life situation, the bad health. We're looking past all of the worries and um, negativity, negative things. We're looking past all the loss. We're looking past all that at Christ. Because there's a problem. You focus on the problem, that's all you ever see, the problem. But we're looking at the solution. And I used to think this was a huge pain. I'm, I used to build custom bespoke homes in the United States as a carpenter. And our boss, I think Dave recounted this a week or so ago, our boss, anytime we came with a, an issue, he'd said, hey, all I'm hearing is problems. I want solutions. And I'm thinking, that's not very helpful. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> you know? But eventually I got it. I understood. Ah, yeah, okay, gotcha. I'm focusing on the problem, so all I see is the problem. Hey, man, these nails are wet. What am I supposed to do? And he's like, stop looking at the nails. Go look at the hammer, the solution, and pull the nails. I thought, oh, yeah, that's smart. Pretty good idea, bro. <laughs> you know? But spiritually, we can do the same thing. Let's look at the solution to our problems, which is Jesus Christ, which then makes us better soil, makes us better soil. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that even though whatever soil type of soil we might be or might have been, that doesn't mean that we're stuck there, Lord. You can use us and bring us from that to a better place, Lord, a better type of soil, which then we can produce some fruit, Lord Jesus, no matter the hard stuff or horrible stuff or disgusting stuff in our life, Lord Jesus. You can make us good soil. And I thank you, Lord, for that because you meet us where we're at, but you don't leave us there, Lord. You bring us forward into better into a better life, Heavenly Father. And I know, Lord, that a better life doesn't necessarily mean an easy life. But because of you, we have the peace that can still reside amongst all this craziness, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the parable of your word. Help us to have receptive, receiving hearts to your word and then to be able to apply your word to our lives, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.